Welcome to READ, the research, education, and advocacy podcast. In this series, prominent researchers, thought leaders, and educators will share their work, insights, and expertise about current research and best practices in education and child development. READ is produced by the Winward Institute. I'm Danielle Scarano, Winward's research coordinator and a classroom teacher. You are in for a real treat in this episode. I, in fact, have the opportunity to interview Windward School's head of school, Jamie Williamson. Jamie Williamson joined the Windward School in July of 2019. Mr. Williamson is a passionate educational leader, proven creative problem solver, and steadfast advocate for children, with 16 years of experience supporting families and children with learning disabilities. Throughout his career, he has been a standard bearer within schools for partnership and collaboration that seeks to empower students families, faculty, and staff. Mr. Williamson frequently presents at local, regional, and national conferences and events on a variety of topics, including dyslexia, ADHD, parenting, assessment, resilience, vocabulary instruction in math, leadership, and hiring for culture. Mr. Williamson lives in Irvington with his wife, a former art teacher, and his two children. Well, welcome to the Read Podcast, Jamie. It's great to have you here. Thank you. Glad to be here. Thank you. Um, I want to personally take the opportunity on the podcast to welcome you to the Winward community. Your warm, enthusiastic, and curious energy has made such an impact on our community already. Thank you very much. So for listeners, this is a, a new podcast. You're one of our first episodes. So I want to remind our listeners and let you know a little bit about the purpose of Read. So the purpose of Read is to connect listeners with the expertise in education and research. So that means focusing on how we can better intersect best practices in research and education. So I want to learn a little bit more about your story in education, how you've been able to find this better marriage, um, if you will, between education and research. But what inspired you to become an educator? That's a great question. Early on in my undergraduate, I, I kind of found psychology. And I would say I found in a really interesting way. I had started, I didn't really had no idea what I wanted to do with myself at that point in my life. Pre-physical therapy for a little bit. But I had a, had a professor in psychology taught stats. And actually, that's what pulled me into the love of, of, of psychology. It was one of those kind of graduate school weeder courses. It was like a six-hour course, you know, five days a week, about an hour and 15 minutes, all statistics for an entire semester. And, and I always liked math, but like I actually all of a sudden got to see how the stats side came together to really sort of, you know, tell a story. And that's what really kind of brought me into this. And I remember at the end of the semester, we had had all of this great dialogue and conversation. And my professor, his name was Dan Rocker at Western Kentucky University, was like, you know, I hope that someday we get, I get to be a colleague of yours. And I was like, you know, I'd never had anybody kind of take that kind of special interest in me. And he was very much steering me towards the idea of going into research, pure like pure research. And so, so at that point, I, I was thinking to myself, I really wanted to be an experimental psychologist. I want to go do research and figure out, ask some questions and, you know, do all that work. So I had an opportunity to work uh, at the Veterans Hospital for an FDA research study. So I was a study coordinator working on crack cocaine addiction study, so testing medications for treatment. And I loved that work, and I realized through that interaction that I what I loved most about the work was actually meeting with the patients and interacting with the clients and, and working to collect the study measures. I was doing the lit review stuff for the PI on that. And, and, I, and I really enjoyed that side of it, but I was like, you know, I want to be out of an office more than I'm in an office. And so 
I was then I took a job working for a um, kind of a social service agency. So I was a case worker for a little bit, working with some of the most challenging kids in Hamilton County. And I had a, a, an individual who was in foster care and had a, a really incredible learning disability and was really struggling in the school system. And I remember meeting with the, the school officials, a school psychologist and, and a principal, and they really, the level of helplessness I felt, and maybe even uh, a, an apathy to a degree, felt really almost insurmountable for this child. So this was a kid who, African-American, uh, 15 years old, learning disability, and people were you know, not paying a lot of, ten- of attention to that. So from that conversation, I was like, oh my gosh, like here's a kind of a niche in psychology where I, I feel like there's so much work to be done. And I remember going up to meet with, I met with a couple of school psychologists who were actually doing work in the field, but I went up to Miami University and met with Dr. Alex Thomas, who was at the time the director of the program, and just really fell in love with what he, what his vision for where school psychology was, where he was hoping it would be at some point, and where the, where, where, where the field was really current, kind of turning, moving away from, at least in southwest, southwestern Ohio, was moving away from this idea that it was a kind of a role, a gatekeeper, right? This test in place, provide a lot of assessment data, and then make a, a yes or no decision for a family or child to say whether or not this kid belonged in special education. So I felt like there was a lot more to the, the role. And in Miami, a big part of the, the training was really kind of seeing myself as this kind of scientist practitioner and looking at how do you test conditions, how do you create and bring this sort of research mindset to even like a single subject design at all points, right? So if I'm working with a child, how do I look at the conditions in which that child can be successful and what goes into making that happen and understanding where they are from a, from a profile standpoint and how that may inform our work forward, but also really some good problem solving and some good problem defining, if you will. Yeah, can you explain that process a little bit more? How, when you have a child that you see has a problem yeah. manifesting, what do you do in order to figure out really the root of the problem and how to help that child ultimately? Well, I mean, certainly I think that it's, it's through partnership with a lot of good educators, right? So I'm not providing the direct instruction in the classroom. But so asking really good questions to those who are working with, with kids and trying to always kind of bring it back to really clearly observable and measurable terms. So if you're looking at if someone says this child has a reading difficulty, so that is a wide, wide area of potential. So is it vocabulary? Is it comprehension? Is it going back to decoding? And then and then really kind of working to kind of define with that educator the real clear, discrete skill that, that's really kind of missing in that stamp, from that standpoint. And then spend some time, you know, really testing some conditions to see what's impacting, what could be positively impacting or negatively impacting as you change. And then working to kind of monitor the, the, the data really well and collecting clear data that's showing you how this, this skill is kind of developing. Because I think it's really hard for for a lot of educators to see, you know, little micro points of progress without sort of having some good data on the table to do that. And in my work, I've just tried to to really kind of bring that back to clear vision for how you how we problem solve and avoid the old problem admiration, you know, where we just spend a lot of time talking about the problem and not actually kind of getting to the point where we're actually defining it and working through a plan on that. And so, so for me, that idea of helping an educator think through the steps that, that kind of go into that, I just, I love that work. I love being that source of support for someone to provide a better, a better opportunity for a child. Absolutely. And for those of you listening, I cheated a little bit because Jamie and I had a conversation yesterday and I learned a lot about his work. But one of the things that resonated with me yesterday is as you moved as a school leader, you talked a lot about having that research-based framework to provide to teachers and translating that so that teachers were able to take that framework and then problem solve together with you in a collaborative way. And you also mentioned a lot about working with parents. So as you moved into these leadership positions, how were you able to integrate the research 
and also translating it to parents and teachers to advocate for what's best for the child? I think for me, I think thinking about it in a couple different, I'm a systems level thinker. So programmatically, like what kind of, what sort of meta-analysis research goes into telling me that this one technique or this one approach is better than another or produces a little bit stronger results based on all of the things that sort of limit your ability to generalize a, a topic, right? So was it used for this particular population, for this type of kid and this type of profile and sort of, you know, the process and decision making that goes into kind of evaluating that. But but even so further than that, figuring out how when you have worked with an individual child, there's lots and lots of things. If you sort of pull the profile apart and think about what's kind of going into that from an attention, from a memory standpoint, from a language standpoint, and, and then really kind of pinpointing where that is and how do you pull some really good research-based intervention to that. And I think that as I have experienced over the years, I think educators and parents alike have a real hard time, one, knowing what good research happens to be, like where do you find it, how do you sort of then translate it, and how do you take this thing from study or from looking at the results table to figure out how does that translate to the work in the classroom. And when I when I used to speak to parents a lot, I would really have this super tech-heavy <laughs> slides where it was, you know, all of this data, you know, citations, and then really I felt like a lot of times parents, it was just kind of missing them. And so I really worked to kind of strip that down and actually try my best to to translate what is it, you know, and I, I remember I went to see Bob Brooks up at uh, Harvard speak once at the Learning, Learning in the Brain conference, and he talked about this idea that, you know, when you're in front of a child, what do you do and say? And I, and I think about that perspective a lot when I'm in front of a teacher and, or in front of a parent. How can I coach them on what to do and say in that moment? So versus, so here's the theory behind this, and we're going to talk about the underpinnings of this and where the research is and throw the citation out there. But having that information certainly at my disposal, but also working to say, here's what this could look like for you, right? And how do you sort of break that down and structure it? And think about the idea, if you're talking about like a homework issue or a reading issue, this idea of consistency and implementation and how important that idea of fidelity and integrity happens to be in the context of of working on uh, an academic intervention. Because if you don't do it the way it was intended to be implemented, it's hard to say whether or not it was, it was successful, right? Yeah, I'm reminded of the phrase we always think about at Winward is we're not adapting research, we're adopting it with fidelity. And I hear you saying fidelity throughout our conversation. I want to talk a little bit more about how you, you know, you've had a lot of different experiences in the educational community, and now you're here as the head of school at Winward. So what have you noticed in terms of your experience here at Winward and thinking about how we translate better reading for our children. And I'm, I'm actually thinking about, too, and I, we go back to this all the time, we know at Winward, at Winward what we do works because it's based in research, because we have the data, as you said, to, to show it at the individual level, at the cohort level. So what do you say to outside educators in the community, that million-dollar question, how do we get children to read more? How do we take that research and translate it better? Yeah. Yeah, I think we've had a big resurgence in the old proverbial reading wars. <laughs> um, there's still a lot of folks who I would say have some solid misinformation that they're spreading around out in the world. But I also think you know, when you pull that sort of question back for me a little bit, I have to ask the question, are we at a point in our, our kind of our, our lives or culturally in this country where we're probably spending more time denying science than I would, I would hope we would? Um, we have some really good research out there, and, and I think that we often, in education at least, we spend a lot of time thinking about, well, this feels good to me, right? This feels right to me. Or I got this from Teacher Pay Teacher or Pinterest, and not that those websites are bad, but a lot of times you don't know like what sort of foundation or underpinnings went into that work. 
But I think one of the things that Windward has done incredibly well in the time that it, it has existed is the intentionality with which it picks it picks the programs, right, and how they put how you put those things together. So when it comes to our decoding work, we have a program that we know is, is going to be delivered with an incredibly high level of fidelity across the program in the way it was intended to be, because we didn't adapt to meet our needs. We really adopted the entirety of the program and worked really hard to implement that. But we also, I think, think about that from kind of the larger scale, and, and we work really hard to place kids, it seems, in, in the right groups to meet the kids where they are, and to provide the full kind of wraparound of really kind of honoring that child and valuing that work and showing those kids that they got some strengths, right, and that they are really good kids and that in so many of our kids who come to us from all over have, have, who've experienced just incredible setbacks, failures, frustrations throughout their academic career, they need to be reminded that they've got some great strengths, right? And so I think that for us, for, for me at least seeing so far, I know I've not been here very long, but, but I think you get a real clear sense of that pretty quickly here, is that we have such a commitment to what we know to be empirically validated, and we've got an incredible commitment to making sure kids have a safe place to learn. Wow. I think those are two empowering statements and definitely one that resonates with me as a Windward teacher. One of the things that was really stuck with me when you came in and spoke with faculty and administrators is that we're doing really important work. And now that you have just joined us, you're looking at the future of where your leadership or where our culture is. You know, what, do you, what is your hope for this better integration of research and practice? Or what is your hope for our community as we continue to unfold in the educational, broader educational community? That's a really great question. I think first and foremost, I want to make sure that the the, the great work that we're happening that's happening here does nothing but step forward, right? So for us to think about that child, the arc of the child's experience and the parent's experience here, from from moment they first interact with our admissions department, from the moment that we're working without placement, and and I would say even beyond that, how are we working to really create what I would consider to be an exceptional experience for families and kids? And, and I think that comes through really the, the large-scale coordination on so many levels, from programmatic design and, and quality around research, from thinking about sort of the whole child and, and the sense of, you know, the social-emotional learning component of this, the, the, the confidence that comes from success, and, and I think just this, this, the idea that the kids feel seen, valued, and heard, right? I think one of the things that's really beautiful about a school like this is that our kids often don't feel done to. Initially, maybe a little bit, right? When they've come and they're waiting for, you know, you're, you're being a super amazing teacher, but every other teacher they've ever had in their entire career was not that, right? And so there is a little bit of apprehension sometimes when sh- kids show up and they're waiting for like the other shoe to drop, for this to kind of turn, for you to take the mask off and for you to be mean all of a sudden or to, to not sort of support them in the way. But I think our kids quickly get here, and, and they're optimistic when they show up, and they, and they want to give this a chance. But then they see that, you know, you're here to support and you're here to really do with, not necessarily do to, right? So this idea that you're with them on this journey and supporting every step of it, but that they're doing the work. I think in a lot of school settings, we focus so much on this idea of modification, accommodation, you know. So if you can't read the book, let me read this to you. If you can't read the test, let me read this to you. And in my, in my experience, and I think the, the data would bear this out, less reading is not good to, to, to develop your reading, right? Mm-hmm. And so how do you really guide a student along and provide the, the really great research-based instruction and have them see that this, their work is actually producing the fruit here? Like you are guiding them along, but it's their work that's actually doing what's kind of moving this whole thing forward. So I think for me, it's like the kind of the coordination of that whole entire 
arc of that experience is just really, really important. And I want to make sure that we maintain this, this high-quality, exceptional experience for kids. And I'm really excited about the launch of the Windward Institute and how that's going to impact and shape the landscape of, of the work that we're doing. Thinking about, one, you know, how do we feed back into the research and to our field? But I, but I would offer, too, you know, what are the opportunities out on the horizon here for us to, to really move the needle? Because when you look at some of the global data for reading in, in this country, we have not moved the needle as a country in a long time. And if, if anything, I think sometimes we take these interesting steps backwards, hence this sort of resurgence of whole language components to this. And so I think it's time for, for us, and I think Winward has an opportunity to really step out in front of this and to really be a leader in this field, like I believe we are, to make sure that we're, we're talking about what really can work for kids and, and, showing, and showing the data to support that. So I think that we have an opportunity, and I would say an obligation, if you will, given who we are and where we are and how our program has, has impacted so many kids over the last 30, 40 years, right? And, and how do we really leverage that expertise to, to really move the needle in this country on reading, on academic work, on, I would say, just what it means to be a good school, period? Because I'm of the mindset that certainly the work that we do works well for kids who struggle with reading. But I think that there is so much of what we do that is just generalizable to the, to the general population and for all kids everywhere. And so I think telling that story and really working to promote that work through the Winter Institutes, I'm incredibly excited about that. Well, we're very excited to have you. Is there anything that you would like to share? And actually, before we end, I wanted to just tell you about some of the things that I was noticing through as you were speaking. And some of the values that resonated with me was your clarity of mission, your commitment to fidelity, and the collaborative trust that goes into educating children. And it all circles back to the child. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with our families, our teachers, before we end the podcast? I'm happy to take a few liberties on that. Uh, I, I appreciate you cycling back to the conversation around values. For me as a leader, that is the framework in which I do all my work, make all my decisions, focus all my energies and efforts. And so this idea for me personally, like a, a kind of a major core value of mine is this idea of growth. And what do I need to do to make sure I'm understanding what my strengths are, what my areas of challenge are, because everybody has them. I have them, you have them, everyone in this program has challenges. And every one of our kids brings that perspective to the, the, the table. And so how, how am I working actively to be better today than I was yesterday? And so that means I come at this work with a great deal of curiosity, with a great deal of compassion for our kids, with a great deal of respect for our teachers, with a great deal of, I would say, awe and, and maybe like this idea that, that you know, our kids are really inspiring individuals, right? So it's like it's hard to have a bad day in a work environment where you have these kids who show up every morning who are willing to do the hard work on the things that are, that are very difficult for them. I mean, I just I feel like I see that. And I'm like, you know what? No matter what's going on today, like I can get up and do this. If John here can show up to class and be amazing today and put his best foot into this, or if any of these kids can, then I should be able to, to kind of match that and do this. I do derive a lot of a lot of wonderful energy from that and seeing kids be successful. You know, I'm not in the classroom, and I've never been a classroom teacher. I don't think I could do what you do. <laughs> there's there's lots of jobs in this organization that I feel I feel I could I could step into, and I may not be as, as proficient or as quick or as uh, efficient in the process, but like I think I could probably figure a, a lot of it out. But the work that you do in the classroom, there is you know the level of expertise, the skill. The, the tact in which you handle the whole entire classroom. I just think that we are so lucky to have such incredibly gifted educators here. 
Absolutely. I mean, I'll say it again and again, but I feel so lucky to go to work with some of the most talented teachers yeah. in the world. You know, yeah. I don't find that to be a too much of a, a broad statement to make. Yeah. I'm, I'm really lucky to be with these educators, and we are really lucky to have you as our head of school. Thank you. As I, as you talk about how inspired you are by our students and our culture of learning and growth, I feel inspired. I'm ready to go run a marathon. Maybe no, yeah. maybe not. <laughs> but. Um, with that being said, um, we really are lucky to have you here, and um, thank you so much for sitting down at the Read Podcast. Absolutely, thank you for doing this. This is an exciting thing for our community, so I'm, I'm so glad you're you're passionate and uh, interested in tackling this. So thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Read. To learn more about Read or upcoming episodes, visit readpodcast.org. You can also access my top Read bookmarks or top moments from each episode by visiting each episode page on our website. My goal is to continue to connect and learn from inspiring leaders and advocates in research and education. If you have any thoughts, questions, or ideas of topics and speakers, feel free to reach out via email at info at readpodcast.org. I also invite you to like, subscribe, and share the Read Podcast with friends and colleagues. You can also like or follow Winward's social media pages to find out more about upcoming speakers, episodes, and events. Until next time, readers, 